0: Sarah Heffler. Well, if it isn't my old friend, Nancy (laughs) Rommelman. It is. Let's have a round of applause. Hey, Sarah, can I just say for our listeners that can't see us, you look extremely sexy this morning. Are you wearing like some kind of black slip in your...
1: (laughs) Sorry. It's a halter dress. Well,
0: it's looking, you're looking nice. Yeah, you are too. You're wearing the, yeah wearing my cute little red sundress. Um, Yeah, well, it's It's 186 degrees. Well, actually, it's only about 85 degrees here, but the humidity is at 1,095% to the point where a friend I was texting with this morning, he's like, yeah, it's making my chest hair puff out. And I was like, wow. First of all, ew, weird. But also, it made me realize I've actually never had uh, any sort of sustained relationship with anybody that had any chest hair. Yeah,
1: who knows what it does in the humidity? It yeah, may...
0: I have hairless men essentially. Yeah, it may, may life, so. I don't know. I, yeah,
1: you know, I'll say this about the heat. Oh. Uh, it it is hotter here in Dallas. I think it's like 104 or something like oh. that. But but the thing about Texas is that it's these self-contained air-conditioned units. You know, you just go from one pod of air conditioning to the next and you have small little interludes in between. You know, um, in New York, you really have to contend with that heat. You have to walk through it. You've got to go places. I, I, I had a harder time in the summer in New York than I do here in Texas.
0: Well, you're constantly in the subway, which is actually yeah. air-conditioned, but getting in and out of there, man, can I tell you something? I was in Paris when my daughter was 14. She came with me on a, on a story I was doing, and we get into the metro, and she's like, Mom, oh, God, oh, God, what is that smell? The metros in the summertime, because, yeah. yeah it's, it's a lot of humanity. It is a lot. It's a lot of humanity. Okay, we don't need to go more more deeply into that. Um, I will be getting out of the city tomorrow. I am heading tomorrow to Cooperstown, New York for three days for the Baseball Hall of Fame Museum. Uh, museum. Yes, the museum is there, but there's the dedication. It's an annual thing, and I'm going with three dudes. It's going to be three dudes and me in a house. Yeah.
1: Can you imagine? Baseball, I have nothing to say. I have nothing to add. Well, we're a hundred percent our baseball correspondent on this podcast.
0: hmm. Well, I will have I will be with Matt Welch, Bill Schultz, whose show you were just on. You were just on. So what did you what did you talk about on Bill's show? Do you remember?
1: They talked about um, well we talked about the male crisis, um, the masculinity crisis. Yeah. And and what's that noise?
0: Um, Besides the fact that I'm going to cough. Hold on a second. What is that noise? I mean, that noise is just a little bit of. Do you have masculinity crisis fatigue? Yeah, I do. Actually, I do. And I think that it is one of these things that the chattering class wants to talk about. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I do believe we've talked about it absolutely books exists books that that address this in terms of opportunities that have been made for women, which is an excellent thing. And I don't, you know, shouldn't it be the case that high tide uh, floats all boats, but it seems that in some cases it's it's not. And that also has to do with technology because there are places that you can hide away, right? You don't have to, if you don't feel like you're really part of the world, you can go hide in your video game or you can go hide in, 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 in chat rooms and not feel like you have to expose yourself to the possibility of being rejected. Yes, we've read all these things, but I also just seems to me, that there are a lot of people that don't feel this way that have never heard of it. Yes, maybe it's impacting everybody, um, and we don't know. But I, yeah, I have a little bit. I have a little bit of fatigue about it. Hmm.
1: I can I can understand that. It's been it's been rolling for a while. Um. But you know, one thing I would say also is I think I kind of think everyone is in crisis. Like I kind of think it's one of those those inflection points of history when it just seems like everyone is not sure what to be anymore.
0: Um, I I don't, you know, so it's a so glass half full, like I, I, is it that way? You see this as
1: a moment of opportunity.
0: I do. And it's like, or, or I'm just not particularly paying attention to that particular thing because again, this is like, just be like our catchphrase. We should have, we should trademark it. It's like, whatever you pay attention to grows. So I don't, I don't focus on that. Yes. Some days there are good days. There are bad days. Do I want something more for myself? Yes. Or for my kid or for the world? Yes, of course. But then just, I I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on making the new thing. And I think we do have opportunities to do that. And that actually is an interesting little segue into the fact that um, I, and probably we are, you know, you've done some interviews here on Smoke em If You Got them, and mm-hmm. I just did one on Monday that I'm going to post today. We're, we're taping on a Wednesday morning um, with Professor Sophie Scott. She's a professor of cognitive neuroscience, and she has a really, really cool new book called um, The Brain, 10 Things You Should Know, which I figured I was too stupid to understand. But in fact, it is this super sexy, super cute little book. And I interviewed her and I'm going to post that um, later today. And one of the things that you learn in her book is that your cells are constantly regenerating. You are constantly changing. You are never, you are never the same person. You're, mm. it's, it's absolutely impossible. Sort of like, you know, the world turns. Every single part of your body is new. Your your gut regenerates within two to four days. You're, you have whole new red blood cells every 40 days. And you are just not, you are physically not the same person, except there's a one human being is in flux. Constantly. If it is, it constantly in flux. That means change is the normal. Change is the normal. So if we have a masculinity crisis and people don't like it, that does not axiomatically mean we're rolling down the hill and we're going to some doomsday, right? We're going into, you know, Dante's 10th circle or however many circles of hell there are. It means that there is change. And then we can decide what we're doing with that change. I think so. Um, there's also, I'm not going to reveal it, but there is one, there's only one part of your body, one part that doesn't change your entire life. Your ears. Nope. Nope. But you know that's interesting. Uh, your ears when you're born, your ears and your eyes are like grown-up size. Mm-hmm. Which is why babies have these massive eyes because they're the uh, they're the size that they're going to be. Um anyway, she was fascinating and um I will be posting that later today so by the time you hear this, it's already going to be out. Fantastic.
1: Oh, another cough is coming. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I woke up with a little bit of um a little bit of a summer cold, which is unfortunate. Um, you know, another thing we were talking about that I think we're just gonna touch on a tiny, tiny bit is we had um we had a lovely listener write in and say that she would love um, to hear from us about the Jonah Hill kerfluffle, which I have to be frank, I don't know a lot about. I know that he apparently dated a woman last year for about three months. She is a professional surfer or surfer of some note, and they broke up. And then now, for reasons unknown, she decided to release their private text messages, which depending, I guess, on whether you've really read them, and I really haven't, I've seen some little clips about them, um, some people this say this makes, you know, Jonah Hill look like some sort of terrible misogynist who is, you know, holding back progress for women and other people are like, why is she releasing these text messages now? Like, what what is the point? So do you have any sense of this or feelings about this? Well, I had,
1: I mean, I guess I had an emotional reaction to the whole thing. Um, you know, first of all, I, I'm deeply uncomfortable with the idea that of of people releasing private email threads or, or text threads you know especially like 2 years later like a uh, correspond like i just think and and then at the same time i read them you know oh you did like, okay so tell me because they didn't yeah i mean look he, he writes her and she's a professional surfer and she writes him uh, he writes her a series of text messages that are basically like you know, hey, I'm not comfortable with pictures of you in bikinis. Uh, I don't want you um, hanging out with certain, you know, friends of yours that have wild pasts. I don't like you having boundaryless relationships with men. Um, you know, she deletes several photos from her Instagram, and then he, you know, sends them back to. Her. She sends them to him and he says, okay, that's a good start. I mean, look, I don't think Jonah Hill comes across as a really guy that I want to date. You know, look, Jonah Hill is somebody that, uh, his, his whole, it's gotta be kind of psychically warping to have your whole identity be around. You're the guy in the movie that nobody wants to date. Right. And so what does that do to your self-esteem? Um, Jonah Hill is on his own journey. He, you know, um, he's dating some super hot uh, surfer lady. I mean, it kind of feels like what do you expect is going to happen? You know, what this reminded me of too uh, was uh, something I've seen in friends' lives where, like, I think we've talked about this before where, like, the guy wants to date the hottest woman. And then once he gets the hottest woman, he's like, completely consumed with jealousy?
0: That's pretty common. Yeah. Well, it's because the objective is wrong, right? The objective is sort of corrupt from the start. I mean, there's nothing wrong with wanting to date a hot woman, I guess, but if that's the objective, then it's corrupt. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah, and and the idea is that by by um by dating the hottest woman, you're going to confirm that like you are a valuable, sexy male, but then what happens is you sort of Date this person, and you realize, oh my gosh! Uh, you know anybody else could take her away. I'm, I'm, I'm not. You know what do I have? Um, and so he sets these limits. I mean, I, I think they're annoying, right? Yeah. I, I think it's a little bit annoying, but I also think I think there's two things. Um, one is that, uh, well, I've heard. I've heard from guys over the years that it can be a little bit uncomfortable watching women post, like their girlfriends post sexy selfies online. Gotcha. Like, what are they for? What are you doing?
0: Right, right. I mean, look, anytime we anytime we post something, I mean, some people post things and they don't care. They don't care if they have any reaction, whatever. They never look if there's a like or a heart or anything like that. But sometimes people or we do post something wanting a reaction. I have actually had to really check myself um, in the past couple of years. Like, why am I tweeting this? Why am I putting, like, what am I waiting for? And if I am waiting for something, maybe I don't post it because this feels, it feels weirdly manipulative or needy. I I have a question though. And and because you've seen these and I haven't, we don't really know the context of why he sent her these texts. Like, what had just happened? What had she been doing? What had they been doing? Had she been like deliberately trying to provoke him? Is he just sort of like wildly just, we don't know anything. We know Mm -hmm. that she posted these. And I absolutely agree with you. I, I know we are never, ever, ever going to put that genie back in the bottle of like not being able to within one click expose our most private um, most most intimate moments. um i I find that to be um, very empty. Uh, and i and I don't know what what satisfaction she will ultimately get from this or anybody will. Um, and i I can't judge Jonah Hill. I do did i I saw a few of those things like, look, she's a surfer. She's going to have a picture of herself in a bikini. I'm sorry. It's like saying you're a hockey player and you're not going to have a picture of yourself with your hockey stick. You're going right. to. So maybe yes, this sounds very unreasonable. But what got him to this place? Do we know? I mean, or is no, it just have sort no of just idea. Like random? It's all, sub-
1: it's all, you know, it's all choose your own adventure here. Yeah. Um, huh. you know, and, and I think people wanted to, you know, went after him a bit because he did that, he did that Netflix documentary on his therapist
0: yeah which i didn't see did you see it um, i watched
1: part of it i i never finished it unfortunately yeah um you know i kind of liked the idea of a guy normalizing therapy for other men uh i've i've enjoyed therapy and and i think it should just be kind of a if if you can do it and it's useful to you great i don't want it to be stigmatized um but there was a lot yeah there was a lot of kind of like therapy speak that was people felt coded as controlling
0: well but obviously she did they broke up last year I think I think they were together in 2022 I'm not sure about that um so they broke up obviously maybe this was one of the factors in them breaking up maybe not we don't know we again no context or maybe we there is context that I just didn't read it um but what's the point now what's the point it's I don't know He'd gotten like,
1: engaged and it's and, and oh, you know and and her idea is that um,
0: she's, oh wait he had gotten engaged to somebody I think so. else yeah so is this like is this like are supposed to be like a handful of magic beans she's now going to like throw out into the world and will sprout something for her or something against Hill? I, I think the idea was to warn other women. So. Oh the the like 10,000 women that are lining up to date Jonah Hill. Well, mm-hmm. okay, so it was basically a public service. She considered herself doing a public service. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. I well, we we talked before we started taping. I guess he's
1: not he's not newly engaged. He's been engaged for a while, I think. Okay. I don't know.
0: Um I don't know. I find it I find the whole and again, this is also I'm pretty sure possibly Because I am of a different generation. Like, I'm not going to spread my personal life all over the internet. There are some things that are sacred and important, and you don't want other people involved in them. Or, or... Maybe you had a bad relationship. It just like didn't end so well. Is that like I would want to keep that to myself? be like, you know what, okay, I learned a few things. I'm gonna move on like let's let's wish everybody in the world well. This just doesn't doesn't feel like that and i and and we've talked about this before. I personally think that it sometimes scrapes more from the soul of the person who's trying to maybe maybe um think that they're doing the right thing, but in fact, it, they're doing the right thing involves making someone else look bad. I mean, I'm assuming, she, I, I'm assuming she would know that there would be some people that would think this would make Joan Hill look bad. Is that a wrong assumption? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then why would you want to do that? Why would you want to make that your mission in life, to make somebody it's, else look bad?
1: And this is one of those weird places where I think therapy can't, I mean, I have no idea what, I have no idea what, what was going on in her life, but like, I, I think her, her rationale was, this is what I need to heal.
0: Okay. Uh, you know, all right. It's, you know, people can do what they want. I'm not in charge here. Um, but again, I, we, we said it just sort of felt, feel like we've been here before and I kind of, you know, you kind of want to cut some new paths here. It just feels a little, little, uh, tread worn. Is that a word? Dread one. Yeah, it should be. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I I would be nervous texting
1: with that woman now. I'll tell you that much. Oh,
0: completely. Oh, haven't you had friends in your life where like you? Oh, how, how do they do this? I haven't really. I haven't really divulged secrets that other people um, then like spilled. But I have had friends who are like, I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to tell anybody else this thing, and then every single other person knows it because they've told everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't spill your secrets to this. To this person. So. Um, we wish them well. We wish, we them, wish them well, well yes. on their journey. Yes, we do. We wish them well on their journey. So, um, something kind of big happened uh, on the East Coast on Friday. I'd like to talk to you and talk to our listeners about it a little bit. Yeah. I also posted a post uh, last night on my Substack. More Pu- make more pie um, about. The fact that the Gilgo Beach serial killer was caught. So for he's also sometimes known as Lisk, the Long Island serial killer. Uh, this started back in two what? You you have Can a look at Can you tell your me face. what
1: Gilgo Beach is? Because it just yes. draws a complete blank yes. in my head.
0: Yes. So you have um you have Long Island, right? And then across from Long Island is Fire Island, which isn't a very Fire Island's not very big and Long yeah. Island is is attached sort of to New York. The so, gay Meckba. So, Long Island is New York, but anyway, um, there is there are these series of little kind of small barrier islands, beach towns, in between Long Island proper and Fire Island, and one toward the very very end of the spit of one are a couple of beaches. One is called Gilgo Beach. One is Oak Oak Park, I believe, and they're really sort of along Ocean Parkway, this sort of very lonely spit of land. And in two thousand. Nine, I believe it was 2009, 2010, 2009. I, oh no, like 2010, a young woman who was an aspiring actress, Shannon Gilbert, and a she was also an escort um, getting dates along uh, from Craigslist. Uh, she was last seen in the vicinity of of the Gilgo Beach community. And that was on May 1st. That was the last time she was seen. And so at the end in December... A, um, a canine officer and a dog were out kind of searching through the scrubland on this lonely spit of land, and um, they came upon the remains of a different woman, about the same age. Shannon Gilbert was 23. This woman um, was 24, also working as an escort, and they started to dig. And in the end, I think they found as many as 18 bodies in mm. the area. But the four main ones that they're calling the Gilgo Four, Gilgo Beach Four, were found within 500 feet of each other. All young women, all working as escorts. Um, Though Shannon Gilbert, the first one, was not much. She was found about nine miles away. Um, They had all been killed, wrapped in burlap, and their bodies buried. So this was obviously a pretty big deal. uh, Though it kind of also wasn't to some people in terms of the dangers to the community. Apparently, the uh, head of detectives out in that area in Suffolk Suffolk County said at one point to the community, well, listen, you know, people don't really have to worry because, you know, he's only killing escorts. Right. Right. There we go. Right. There we go. So um, it became a pretty big case that was a cold case. They could not find, they could not find, I guess they had some suspects, but they couldn't, they couldn't, They didn't arrest anybody. Other bodies were found, mostly women, one man, one baby, I believe, buried with a woman. Um, In any case— Do we know how these people died? I don't know. I have read a book I'm about to talk about. I don't remember if it was Strangulation. I'm going to assume that it was Strangulation. Um, There was a book that was published in 2013 called Lost Girls. Uh, An Unsolved American Mystery by Robert Kolker, who is, to my mind, one of the very best, top five, easy, top three, um, best nonfiction writers writing in the country. And he went in. There was no denouement. There was no resolution. There was no—he did not look for the killer. What he did is he looked into the lives of the women, Mm. and he met their families, and he learned their dreams, and he met their children, and he— listened to what the police department said. And he followed the forensics and he went on and on and on. And he wrote one of the most deeply humane books. I I would say, again, it's top three of nonfiction books that, that deal with true crime. And I had the very great privilege of reviewing it for The Oregonian in 2013. And after I reviewed it, I got a little email from From Bob saying, Oh, thank you so much, which was just nuts, right? And then he had read something of mine. And it was just a we've we've formed something of a nice relationship, including when I was trying to get to the bridge to an agent and get it published. He actually gave me access to his editor who had bought Lost Girls, who wound up buying my book and editing my book. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And Bob and I have become friendly. We've only met once in real life, but I think he's amazing. He's also written, um, he wrote that that New York magazine article a couple of years ago called The Bad Friend. Was it, oh, was gosh, it bad, that's the, right. The Bad Art Friend. Um, the Bad Art Friend. Yes, that was a big friend.
1: sensation for a while about the one oh, friend man. that sold her kidney. Yeah. And yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah I, I love this piece. Um, and then also, I'm so sorry, I'm forgetting, um, not Revolutionary Road. That's the, um, that's the, um.
1: Richard, Robert, Richard, Re- I forget who wrote Revolutionary Road.
0: Um. It's another road. Maybe you can look this up. His book that he won. He's just won every award for his books that he should. In any case, last Friday, Hidden Valley Road. Hidden Valley Road. Another great, great book. I can't. I can't say enough about about Bob Colker. He's just. He's just the real deal. Um, on and I Friday, I want to say that yes. Revolutionary Road. Um. Was written by Richard Yates. That's, That's I, I, I finally got. Yeah. I got one thing right. Finally on this podcast, we're going to know today. Where's the bell? Ding ding ding. Um, so on Friday, the police arrested a suspect uh, in at least three of the murders. Three of the the Gilgo Beach four murders, and he is probably will be charged with the fourth. But it had to do with phone records and things that had expired. That why it wasn't in any case. Uh, a new district attorney in that area was 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 voted in in uh fall of 2021 and he made it a prerogative to find this killer and by March of 2022 he had convened a grand jury or maybe February of 2022 and they had more than 300 you know subpoenas and search warrants and they zeroed in on this guy he, his name is Rex Hewerman he is an architect of basically the little note with um With uh, offices in midtown Manhattan, he lived out in Massapequa, about 15 miles from where most of the bodies were found. Um, He lived apparently, which is sort of telling, he's an architect, but he lived in this like totally ramshackle, rundown house with a wife and a few children, a wife who's, as you pointed out, whose some of her hairs were found on the bodies or in the burlap with some of the victims, but she's not implicated. She was actually traveling. Um, She's from Iceland and she was taking some other trips each time the murders um, had taken place. This human is not a—he uh, is not a good soul. Um, besides the fact that he contacted these women who were all very petite, he is an ogre of a man. I mean that in terms of size, he's quite overlarge—six four to forty, big giant medicine ball-shaped head. Um, he is—it um, looks like he was, like he was the killer. He's also just—he's just. He's just he, like, staged fake auto accidents over the past couple of years to, to collect insurance money, and he was very, he was unliked um, in his profession. And he, I mean, Sarah, he used burner phones to contact the mm-hmm. women, which, you know, this is, this is what, what people do. Um, he also used the victim's own phones after he had killed them to call and taunt their families. Yeah, that's really sick. It's I'm, um I'm,
1: to be clear the whole thing is sick. Yeah. Uh, it's strange to to but but just that I don't know. It's it's
0: so I want I want to talk a little bit because I was trying to write about. So I, again, I wrote a post for for Make More Pie. And you know, when when we encounter these kinds of stories, it is uh it is sort of the human reaction to put these people on the other side of a fence, right? We don't want them around. We do not want them as part of humanity, we want to not only put them in jail or sometimes we want to execute them, but we want to make them not human. We can't have them be human because we're human. We can't have them also be like us. So we say they're a monster. We say they're insane. We say they're an animal. This is what a lot of people are saying about this human. Um, But And then I started thinking about sadism because there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that someone who does this to these young women And it's just, it's, Sarah, it's just, it's crushing me that the last, the last person that they saw was this person who's just, just so, so awful. Um... I, I I guess I was interested, and you know, I've I've interviewed Gacy, John Wayne Gacy, and I know how he treated people, and I know the satisfaction that he took or believed he took from torturing and killing people, and I I haven't investigated this because it's just not something I've done yet, but just the nature of sadism, you know what is it that people, you know, they feel that they need to do this. They feel that they need to revisit torture because we know that killers do this. They revisit the scenes of their crime. This human, he apparently, you know, police looked at his internet searches in the past 18 months. He's more than 200 times, like looked up the victims and looked up their families and looked up his own name. It's sort of like, you know, firefighters that go set fires themselves and then go show up at the fire. There's a need or another, another person. When I wrote to the bridge, True story of motherhood and murder, I wound up communicating with several other killers, one of whom wanted me to—he admitted what he did. He was in prison then for life. He wanted me to send him articles about the murder and of course i didn't i didn't do that but there's a certain savoring at play mm-hmm. here and it's it's a human trait i mean i might savor the fact that i wrote a good story or that i i saw my daughter looking so happy or i made a good pie the idea of savoring the torture of another human being i i just can't even get there i mean i know what satisfaction feels like but the idea of getting satisfaction from that is i'm i'm really having a hard time even even putting a toe in it. Do you know anything? About no, I this? mean,
1: no, but I, you know, I think this is why we're so deeply drawn to the criminal mindset, but it's that
0: kink for, uh, Hello, smoker you have Got him listeners. If you are hearing this, that means you have just listened to the free portion of our, oh, I don't know, bi-weekly episodes with Sarah Hepla. Sarah Hepla, who's just so busy right now, she could not record this little uh, interim moment for you. Um, we're happy to have you here as a free subscriber. If you'd like the entire episodes, please go over to SmokeEmPodcast.substack.com and sign up and subscribe. Then you will get the full episodes every week, plus some special things we drop for you on the weekends and our monthly, our first Sunday zooms. Again, to get the full fig. That is smoke Thanks.